If you would, turn your attention to the New Testament. This is 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. And really, we're going to focus on one verse. And it's weird. I I refer to this verse all the time. I, I cite it every time I teach our foundations class. That's our inquirers class or, or people interested in membership. And I, I always refer to this verse. I, talk, I, I cite it when I counsel with people. And I realized this week, I don't think I've ever preached on it. If I have, I can't find my notes anywhere. And so I've, I've, I'm going to read this, this batch of verses just for some context, but really we're going to focus in on verse 21. And I mentioned this last week. Last week was my first time back to preaching after, uh, after sabbatical, and I, I like when I've been away, even if it's just for a couple of weeks for vacation, I like to kind of go back to basics, and I'm, I'm going to do a more extended version of that for the next few weeks. Last week we looked at Scripture and how we approach Scripture. This morning we're looking at justification. Now, you may be familiar with that word, or you may not be familiar with that word. I would say that that is a word that I would want anyone who ever visits here to ultimately know whether they stay around here or not. And the reason is because that's not just a theological word. It's it's not just theological jargon. And it's not just a Presbyterian word. That's a Bible word. And again, I, I, I said this earlier, Rod said this earlier, that when people get the good news... What, what Christ and the apostles and the prophets call good news, they get this. Justification. Justification is not everything that the gospel is, but it is at the center of it. And here's the thing. Sometimes key passages in the Bible for a subject never mention the term. For instance, if, uh, if I was going to... In fact, I did this not a few months ago. If I was going to teach about missions, especially international missions or evangelism, an incredibly important passage is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We call that the Great Commission. It's where Jesus says, you know, he's about to ascend into heaven, he's been resurrected, and he says, go, make disciples of all the nations. But that text never uses the word missions or evangelize or evangelism. So the term is not there, but, but you've got to look at that passage when you think about that t- those topics. The, the, the text that we're about to look at never uses the word justification. But it is absolutely about it. And again, uh, whether you're a longtime member of Downtown Prez or if you're sitting here and you've already decided this is the first and last time I'm coming here, I would really want you, when you walk out, to know what this means. Because it's good news. It's good news for bad people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, please now, feed us, feed us the food that we need, whether we feel hungry or not, whether we feel our need of the food or not. Feed us as needy people, hungry people, with the food of Your Word from Your generous hand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, past week, I was talking with someone, and um, we, we recently had been to, to funerals, and we've had several members who've lost someone recently. That I, I, We prayed about that. But we were talking about something that, that we have observed or heard from older men who were married and they, they outlived their wife and they became widowers. And we were talking about that something that we had heard from their account of their experience is that one of the, the, the worst parts of it... Now these... The, at least two examples that we were talking about were Christian men we knew. Um, it was the torture inside of beginning to vividly recall uh, severity toward one's wife. And the feeling that, that I mean, the, to your bones feeling that uh, it did not help and generally it hurt, and almost always it was too much, and now they're gone. And it's, it's the unfixability that's the torture. And, and some of you may not, you know, single, married, divorced, whatever, it may be that you've never been in that situation, but you have lost someone, and you felt that dynamic with the person that you lost is after just the initial sense of loss, the initial grieving, then when the recollection really started, it's the recollecting of the things I said and did that I so regret and I so wish I could erase them or reel them back in and I can't and it's the unfixability of it that's the torture. Now here's the thing. Our problem that Rod talked about of sin... Our problem of the fact that we show up not right with God, and, we, and that was a great phrase that Rod used, we act out. That has all kinds of manifestations. And a lot of those manifestations, we don't feel yucky about it. We may feel great about things that we're doing that are just loathsome to God, and we don't know it yet. But, but what, what I want to think about is the times where we do feel it. Now, we don't feel it like we could or should. But it's the feeling of what do you do with the evil that you've done that is unfixable? 
because now I can't go apologize. And really, that gets at the heart of justification. Now hear me. Justification is not primarily about me being on the same page horizontally with other people. The heart of justification is me being, in the language of 2 Corinthians, reconciled vertically. But the concern is this. What do I do with that thing that I have felt toward other people that I can't fix? What do I do about my sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the most lovely, simple... (laughs) I say simple and I was killing me this week with how to say this in a sermon. And I feel completely overwhelmed as I'm standing up here about what all I want to say. And, and that's why I'm going to try to discipline myself to, we're going to talk about one verse. And we could be here for a month and we would not scratch the surface of the surface of what verse 21 says to that question. I'm going to look at two things. What did Christ become? And then secondly, what is it that sinners might become? What did Christ become, and what is it that sinners might become? Now, the the verse just, it states things clearly and kind of starkly. What does it say that Christ became? Verse 21. For our sake, He made Him. Now, just so we all know the grammar here, in case you didn't catch it. The He made, the subject, He, is God. The direct object, Christ. Him is Christ. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Now, let's, let's sit with that for a little bit. First off, what He became means that something changed. What changed? It's, it says that Christ knew no sin. Now, that's really an interesting statement. Because if you read the Gospels, something that you'll pick up on pretty quickly is that Jesus of Nazareth had a masterful understanding, definitive understanding of how sin works and how sinful dynamics play out in real people's lives in a real world. And I mean, we could just list example after example where you look at, a, you look at his exchange with someone, his interaction with someone, and just like a guided missile, he would just and go right to the heart of who they actually are more so than they're able to diagnose about themselves. Uh, His conversation with the woman at the well, John chapter 4, you know. I I could give you living water and uh, you wouldn't be thirsty anymore. Wow, I could really use living water. I wouldn't have to come out to this well so much. Well, go get your husband and we'll talk about it. I don't have a husband. You're right, you've had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you just said is true. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know. Yeah. I mean, you just, I mean, over and over, go to the heart of it. How sin affects people, what it does to people. When he, toward the end of his ministry, when he walks up to Jerusalem, this is a fulfillment of prophecy for the king, the real king, to enter Jerusalem. And, and he weeps, just bursts out crying, because he knows he is seeing what they cannot see. He is seeing, you don't know the ramifications of your actions right now, and I see them. He knew all about sin. So what does it mean that he knew no sin? And it really, that, that language takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Because when the serpent 
tempts Adam and Eve, what did he say? Because think about this. The devil tempts with partial truths. He uses accurate biblical information and accurate doctrine to do a move on people. So what was the move? He says, you know, God forbid you to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I'll tell you why. He forbid it because he knows that in the day that you eat of it, that you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. Now, that statement is part true and part lie. What's true is, you will know evil. But the reason you're going to know evil is because your actual existence, your being is going to change. You're going to go from being a non-sinner to a sinner. You're thinking, as you're hearing this, that there's this esoteric knowledge that God has and He won't let us have it. And wow, if I eat this thing, I get this knowledge that He's being stingy about, that He doesn't want me to have. And what the devil knows is, uh, no. When you eat that, you're going to know it by doing it. And they did. They knew there was such a thing as disobeying God, but when they ate, they knew it from experience. Now that's what Paul is saying. Christ knew all about sin and could describe it more accurately than anyone, but he never knew it from experience. That's what he was before. So what did he become? I cannot get my mind around this. He became sin. If you think it's stark in the English, you should see it in the Greek. It doesn't even say he made him to be sin. It says he made him sin. He made the one who knew no sin, sin. What does that mean? It can't mean that he became a sinner. I mean, not only do we know that biblically and theologically, you've got the eyewitness account of him in John chapter 8 speaking to um, a Jewish audience. And he says, if anyone can convict me of sin, say it. Can you imagine saying that to your family? Can you imagine going into your workplace? If anyone in here has ever seen me sin, raise your... And that you just hear the like wind of arms going up. It's like, okay, 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 okay. That's a forest of arms now. Stop. Uh, I, I, I never need to pose that question to my family because I know the answer. And Jesus could stand up in front of people that he was with all the time, say, if you've seen me sin, if you can convict me of sin, say it. Crickets. So what does it mean he became sin? It means that by the hand of God, and in a way that we cannot totally explain, God made his son, Jesus Christ, to become so identified with sin and let's be clear here from other scriptures, not just generic sin, but something that the scriptures insist on is he doesn't just bear generic sin. He bears the sins of his people. He doesn't bear the generic sin of his people. He bears the particular sins, the actual sins, the totality of which Paul is saying is sin. He bears that for... You shall call His name Jesus because He shall save His people from their sins. He becomes so identified with actions that He did not do that here's the amazing thing. Not only from the vantage point of God the Father is it as if He actually did those. 
and ends up being punished accordingly. But just as amazing, Jesus Himself begins to see Himself that way. I mean, have you ever thought about, if, when you read in the Gospels about uh, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's getting closer and closer to his arrest, being taken into custody, his mock trial and his abuse and then a, a terrible death. That as he's getting close to that arrest, he begins to say to his disciples, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And you can read that and think, well, I guess that's because he knows that the next day he's going to have this terrible, brutal death. But if you knew that you were going to die a violent death tomorrow, if I told you, you will be killed violently tomorrow, would your response be, that makes me sad. That would make me terrified. But he doesn't say he's terrified. He says he's sad. Why is he sad? We don't know how God did it, and we don't know the exact timetable, but one who was born of a virgin and was not tainted by Adam's sin, a lamb without sin, a spotless lamb, was beginning to be so identified with our anger and our lusts, and our severity, and our stinginess, and our apathy, and our hate so intensely that it was registering in his emotions. Why did he do that? You know, that's always a good question when you're going to do something. Why am I doing this? And what's, what, what's the benefit of me doing this? If I decide not to do that and do this, what's the, what's the benefit? What was Jesus' gain by becoming sin? At a personal level, nothing. And th- that to me is the window into the beginning of verse 21. Because what, what does Paul say? Why does he do this? For our sake. And that is a translation of two Greek words, and the Apostle Paul loves these two Greek words, and he uses them a bunch in his letters. He says, for us. Paul never got over that. That God does what God does in the Gospel for us. And before we go any further, whether you are a Christian of many years or whether you're here as a first-time visitor, just listen. I'm going to dip out of this just for one verse, another verse by Paul, Romans 5, 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says that in his letter to the Romans after he has just gone into detail about the wickedness of humanity and how much we deserve the wrath of God. And then after that, not before it, he says, God is for us. 
And He's doing things for us. And He sends His Son, and His Son lays down His life, not against His own will, but willingly for us. So that what will happen? This is the second point. So that sinners might become the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Can y'all call off all your plans and stay in here for the rest of the week and we'll unpack that. The righteousness of God is actually a phrase that is used a lot in Paul's letter to the Romans. Some people would say that phrase is the subject of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is about the righteousness of God. If you read Romans, what do you learn about the righteousness of God? Well, there's different ways to come at it. The righteousness of God is what is causing God, when He looks at sinful humanity, to purpose to punish sin. The righteousness of God is the dimension of God's character and perfections that causes Him, when He looks at sinful humanity, to purpose to pour out His wrath on violations of His law. The righteousness of God is also something that is put up on display at the cross, Paul says. The cross shows you the righteousness of God. Well, how does it do that? It's a picture that when people rebel against me, God, this is what they deserve. Not just the physical suffering, but the part that you can't see that's breaking this man's heart and making him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Justice, wrath, anger, deserved. Well, who's up there? Shouldn't we be up there? You being up there won't take care of my righteousness. For someone to be up there and take care of my righteousness, they would have had to perfectly obey my righteousness. Perfectly keep my righteous standards in the Law and the Prophets. He did, and none of you can. That's why He's there, and it's for you. And Paul says it's in the Gospel. Because we just talked a lot about wrath, anger, justice. But he says it's in the good news that God shows His righteousness. Now you try to tie all that together, and then Paul says in this letter... Christ became what He became so that sinners can become the righteousness of God. What does it mean become? It's parallel to how Christ became sin. Christ became sin, but did He ever do acts of sin? No. Was He treated as sin? Because he himself did acts of sin. No, never. If sinners become the righteousness of God, is it because we are doing flawlessly the righteousness of God? No. We can't perfectly fulfill his righteousness. 
then what does it mean? It means that in the way that Christ became identified with sin, we become so identified with God's own righteousness that we're treated as if those are our actions. We are regarded and loved and accepted as if that is our actual character. How do you get that? Could there be a more important question in the universe? And this is, this is where it's interesting that Paul says, might become. And that's a good translation. There's an if. It's not just if you show up and you're a human being with a pulse. But it's if you are united to Jesus. Now, if Paul likes the phrase for us, he loves this phrase, in Christ. In Jesus Christ. In Him. In the Lord. Look look at the, the batch of verses, all of them. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, his behavior can change? Well, that's true, but that's not what he says. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new you. Verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself. And then what does He say in our verse? For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means this. When a sinner who may not be able to explain justification by faith, when a sinner hears the good news and says to God, I cannot be the righteousness that I need. I cannot ever obey enough to make myself right with you. And you're saying that I'm not reconciled to you until you make me reconcile to you. Would you make me reconcile to you? Would you have mercy on me? Whatever it is that Jesus did when He became sin, I need Him to be my sin. I need Him to be my Savior. When a sinner does that, the Spirit of God unites that sinner to Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable. So that what we can say of Christ, we can say of the sinner. Christ can never stop being the Son of God. Neither can someone who's in Christ. You can't. Jesus Christ can never be condemned again. Neither can the justified man or woman ever. If you're in Christ and you have a wreck, please don't ever get out of your car and go, what is God punishing me for? He cannot punish you anymore. He can put you through trials. He can grow you. He can stretch us. He can discipline us as a loving Father, but He cannot punish us with justice if we're in Christ. 
if Christ at the end is going to inherit everything, if we're in Christ, we will too inherit everything. Where does that leave us? Um, If you're here and I'm, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at you this morning. It's a good kitchen sink. But, I mean, the fire hose is on. And your head may be swimming, and you may be thinking, okay. Look, let me tell you where I am. Uh, Here's where I am. I just want to know I'm right with God. You know? And and, and that's different, different backgrounds here, but if you're from a church background, the way that might look is, I am so tired after sermons or after some Christian talk that I hear somewhere, that, that I feel like I need to pray the sinner's prayer again. If you even know what I'm talking about, the sinner's prayer. Uh, I need to say, oh, Jesus, come into my heart again. I, like, let's just kind of make sure again that... What does he say in this text? What does he say? Paul says, we are imploring you on behalf of God, who's the author of all this stuff, be reconciled to him and... There is this little man in a blazer up in front of you. And flawed though he is, God himself is making his appeal through the flawed man. Be reconciled to God. Today. Be done with this thing of, you know, I I do need to get my prayer life together. I do need to to do more Bible reading. We all do. So you're going to do enough? To be the righteousness of God. You're going to pray and tithe, do Bible study and evangelize enough to be the righteousness of God. We can't. Here's this loving God who has every right to crush us. If God was mean, we would know it. But God is love. And He is imploring us, be reconciled to God. Just, Just... Say, I need Jesus Christ. I need to be justified, and I need to know that I'm justified. And throw yourself at His mercy. What if you're sitting here and you know you're in Christ? Then we need some reminders to bring us back to sanity. What if I'm in Christ, but I've harmed people in my life? Now, I once heard a counselor make that distinction. There's a difference between someone hurting you and harming you. I mean, it wasn't a counselor I was seeing or anything. It was just, you know, it's a counselor I <laughs> talked to professionally one time about something else. And, and, uh, but, uh, no, but I th- you know, that's a very helpful distinction is it's one thing to be hurt or to hurt someone. It's another thing to be harmed. And I think everybody can kind of feel in their gut those are different. And what if I'm here and I'm in Christ and I've harmed someone? What if, what if I haven't just... What if I'm a parent and I haven't just hurt children, the crossword, the overreaction, whatever, but what if I've harmed my child? If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are the righteousness of God. What if... Most of the time, I just don't care. Like, I believe this stuff, and I I believe that I'm in Christ. I'm here because I actually believe this stuff. But most of the time, I feel so spiritually flat and cold and bored about the whole thing. I'm neglecting 
the crud out of the Bible in prayer. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are right now the righteousness of God. And you may be thinking, if you tell people that, they're not going to read and pray. If we do not tell people that, they won't read and pray. We won't read and pray. If the book is just a book of condemnation, who wants to pick it up? But if it's a book with wings that sets you free, you reach for it. Pour life into me. You can throw your hands up to God and say, speak into my life and let me cry out to you if you're reconciled to Him and know that you are. What if I... What if I ended a pregnancy? Or what if I prompted someone else to? I hear all these churches screaming at me. I don't know how to think about it. Was that sin? Yes, that was sin. But if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. If you're in Christ, you have become the righteousness of God. And let me just end with this. When the justified sinners, messes that we are, when we enter our eternal rest... Will our experience of this be more full? Yes. Will we feel in a way that we don't feel right now in our body and souls that we are clean and we've been set free? Absolutely. But when we enter our rest, will we be more justified than we are right this second as we're angry in our own kitchen about whatever? We will not. If you're in Christ, you have become the righteousness of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you sent your own Son because you love sinners and you sent him for our sake. King Jesus, we praise you that you came and gave your life, not unwillingly, but willingly for our sake. We praise you, Spirit, for how you take these truths and you drive them into the heart of men and women and children for our sake. That you cry out and pray for us with groans for our sake. Lord, open our eyes to what you are saying in the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.